You know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. The show goes on. They're gonna need a fucking wrecking ball to take me out of here. They're gonna need to send in the National Guard a fucking SWAT team. Give me your poor, your tired, your hungry, for we will build a Ponzi scheme. Welcome everybody to Nick's Nonfiction. I'm your host, Nick Muniz. Today on the show, we have the long-awaited Wolf of Wall Street, written by Jordan Belfort. A stock market multimillionaire by the age of 26 and a federal convict by 36. Penny trading stocks starting the American dream from nothing, building his company, his baby, seeing it to grow into the unchainable leviathan, selling off parts overseas, you know the story. Today's book is an inside look at America's wealthiest, taking a helicopter from Long Island onto Manhattan. Not a very long flight, but Jordan Belford almost managed to crash there, considering his athletic drug consumption. 25 grams of coke a day, ludes, the quaaludes all day. He was doing pot, tranquilizers, alcohol, everything to take the edge off because Jordan Belford made a million dollars a week within his first decade on Wall Street. The book splits from Marty Scorsese's masterpiece. We are going to be doing plenty of justice service to that today. The intro, we are definitely using That one scene in the movie when Jordan Belfort is about to leave Stratton Oakmont because he was getting a plea deal with the FBI, and he goes, I'm not leaving. That's when he actually does step down in real life, and he addresses all of his addiction issues. But there's still more fun to come after the whole yacht crash, ODing until the Italian National Guard shows up at sea, but the Italian Coast Guard show up with wine and cute women. If you're going to crash your super yacht, that's the place to do it. Most of the book today is about the author, so it's going to be a very short one to start us out. Jordan Ross Belfort was born on July 9th of 1962. He considers himself an American author, a motivational speaker, and of course, a former stockbroker. He is not allowed back in the market. He One of his conclusions at the end of the book was he was told... You're too smart to play the game, Mr. Belfort. We are expecting you to bow down at this point. That's what he said. On the cover of his book, it says, I partied like a rock star and lived like a king. He's had the big chungus energy throughout his entire life. Starting out there in Queens, he had two accountants for parents. My godfather, we got like a, a lot of accountants in the family I always thought that they were evil tax collectors, but these people are learning how to dodge taxes. This is, um, you get hooked up with deals in town. You know the plumber, you know the guy who could lace a pipe bomb on your enemy neighbor because you do his taxes. That was both of Jordan Belfort's parents, so he was always looking for loopholes, rat holes to store his money in. As a kid in his teens, they would go over to Coney Island, and he made $20,000 one summer just selling ice cream on the beach. That's a minimum wage year salary he made in between ninth and 10th grade. 
That's like the kid at your school who would sell candy, and then they gave him like in-school suspension for starting a market. He, this kid was an innovator. What he could be threatening people. You want him to start pulling a switchblade on kids in the hall and just turn it into a mugging? It's better a kid opens up a little stand and tries to make a business. Teaches him. But it, I guess if you're analyzing it, it teaches you about the monopoly or like the unilateral control that SEC has. We're gonna learn about today. Your school is not going to let you undercut the prices of their vending machines. <laughs> it's about who controls the market. We're learning about the fugazi, the fugazi, the woozy, the entire illusion of the market. Jordan wound up getting a biology degree from American University. That's in Washington, D.C. But a bio degree, he's got to be the most high-earning bio major ever. He saved that beach money selling ice cream all those years to pay for dentistry school. And on the first day, he's like, this is not how you get rich. Dentists have the highest uh, depression and suicide rate of any, I, I think, except for outside of accountants. <laughs> so George is like, if I'm going to want to die doing my desk job, I might as well get to do drugs while I do it and make mountains of money. It was 1989 when he founded Stratton Oakmont. We'll have little flashbacks to that today. And he was a 25-year-old CEO at that point. And then 10 years further in 1999, he made his plea. He plead guilty for market manipulation and only did a 22-month sentence. And that's at um, federal prison. It was a joke. They showed at the end of the movie, he's like playing tennis. They have some golf courses at federal prisons. And he only did um, three years so you could look at it as he stole millions from people or markets are illusions. You could look at it as he created these <laughs> Steve Madden. It's just a shoe. He, the guy was making clogs. Jordan Belfort was able to pump that up and help everybody get rich off of the idea of Steve Madden. Manipulation, technically, market manipulation isn't a crime until you're stepping on the government's toes within the racket. And this book was published, The Wolf of Wall Street, in 2007. That was his nickname throughout all the years, Wolfie, on Wall Street. And he wrote this one in prison. His mentality, if I'm going to be a prison worker, I might as well make a lot. If I'm going to go to prison, I might as well write a book. And he came out making more money than he was when he went into prison. And then in 2013, Martin Scorsese got a hold of Jordan Belfort's book here, and he knew his life story needed to be a film. And then Jordan Belfort cashed out again with Catching the Wolf of Wall Street. I've not read that one, but it's uh, just the other side of the story. Like crappy SEC agents sweating their balls off on the subway. But, I mean, this side of the story we have today is a lot cooler. Billionaires and private islands. But that's where his authorhood comes from. And then in 2015, Belfort got remarried to his longtime girlfriend. And that's going to take us into the show today. A lot of twists and turns. You might not be as familiar with the movie. Scorsese, his movies are masterpieces. You know, Taxi Driver, Gangs of New York. It's all about pacing and tempo with his movies. The cuts, there's never more than like a 10-second shot in his movies. So The Wolf of Wall Street, especially when they finally do a long-shot monologue, it sinks in much, it means a lot more. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a three-hour movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. It's split up perfectly, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, between the hour marks. Whereas, this was Jordan Belfort's first book written in a prison. It's not paced as well. We're going to make the best of the show, funny visuals, fun little listening today, and you're going to learn about the market more than you would from a Hollywood movie. 
11 chapters, the first of which, Daily Commuter. It is the winter of 1993, and it feels like Jordan is entering the lifestyles of the rich and the dysfunctional. He is under the influence of drugs every hour of the day. And he is starting to think lifestyles of rich and dis- dysfunctional. The more you have, the more you complain. Think about it. You go to even like a comedy show with somebody who grew up rich and the people who were abused and had terrible lives growing up laugh a lot more and have a better sense of humor. Jordan's saying when you got your wasp mansion, your wasp nest set up, the smallest thing someone sneezing on a subway will set you off. Jordan is on 30th Street for this winter day, and he's at his heliport on top of a building, about to ride it back to his mansion in Old Brook Village, Long Island. Luckily, he has a co-pilot because Jordan is on a lot of drugs here. They pull up, they get out of New York City airspace, and they're flying down the Hudson River. It's getting to be dark. You look down and that room, it's probably some of the dirtiest water in America, the runoff from the city. A lot of people swimming with the fishes down there, decomposing bodies in that black sludge of water, sandwiched between New Jersey and Manhattan. Jordan, he uh, jumped the gun on his ludes this day, and he passes out behind the stick. He falls forward on his joystick, pushing half the way to the helicopter straight down into the black water. The pilot is shouting at Jordan, Mr. Belfort, this is the end of your dynasty. Wake the fuck up. He is able to shake Jordan awake within inches of the black water. Jordan Belfort had many a close calls driving home fucked up in his helicopter from Manhattan. Think about how many people he could have hurt. When they get to his mansion, old Long Island, He, they basically just cut the rotors 40 feet still in the air, let it slam on the ground. The gardener is going to have to deal with that one tomorrow. He's a 30-year-old getting out of his private helicopter, waddling up to his castle. Jordan's reflecting every single day when he flies over, he sees the redlining even of Old County Long Island. Of the, Just look at it on Google Maps. Like, me and my buddies took some ferries to Fire Island, and you can see these multi-million dollars right on the edge looking into Manhattan. This is where the Great Gatsby takes place. Old Egg and New Egg Harbor, those are code words for these Long Island billionaire properties. Jordan's saying he lives in a wasp community, and he is a 30-year-old. He's new money. They look down on him. They don't like he uses Uber helicopter. (laughs) He's one of the most hated in the community, which will come up later, as you know, when he has that problem at the local country club. But once inside, he makes it home safe from a day in Manhattan, and he breaks out the quaaludes before saying hi to the wife or the baby. His thing about the Quaaludes is it makes you feel great with no hangover. Smoke a gram. You don't need some fucking 1940s. Quaaludes were invented in India as a sleeping medication. He said in the book that it was for his back pain, but who knows where the back pain is coming from when you're having sex with five hookers a day. You might throw out or slip a couple discs (laughs) when you're serving up that much sausage. Before he could pass out in a drug-induced coma, Naomi, his beautiful, the queen, the princess of Bay Ridge, the duchess Naomi, ends it with a nice fight. Jordan feels like he's 31 years old going on 60 years old with a four-month-old baby daughter as the only thing that keeps him in check. 
Jordan does not get lucky after his argument with Naomi, so he has his Venetian hooker. No, this girl's name was Venice, but she's probably from Venice, or maybe Venice, California, low-rate hooker. And she is under his $12,000 comforter inside their house. So, of course, Naomi walks in on this later, wearing $50,000 of silk herself. But Naomi knows this is part of the game, like Jordan refers to it in the book, as a play they're doing. Every single day when they go home, they like to yell at each other. It spices things up. She knows he's a 31-year-old with millions of dollars. He's n- <laughs> That's not going to stop his sex drive. It's only going to ramp it up to dangerous levels. Naomi's just going, not around the baby. Get this hooker out of our house. They had been together for three years up to this point, and just constant threats of violence from the honeymoon to the third year mark. She's a sassy Bay Ridge, Long Island English immigrant. Her parents and uh, some aunts are from England. That's going to come into the story later. Around 3 a.m., Jordan said he finally got some post-argument coitus going, and he gets three hours of sleep. It's 7 a.m. already. He's woken up to a splash of water to the face, a nice little argument-sleep-argument sandwich. Before he goes to work, he needs to try to get some sanity in this daily commute routine. And he hits, he has a whole back house, a bathhouse sauna. And she knows, <laughs> Naomi knows that Jordan also gets his drug routine started for the day in the back house. And she's saying, okay, yeah, you just want to go in there to sweat the booze out, to detox. I know you're retoxing. She said, let me hear more lies from a man who lies for a living. So she is a smart girl. She knows Jordan's little racket. She just likes to play back. She's a cunning, smart immigrant to have made it to her situation. How do you move here in the first generation and be in one of the richest estates on the country's soil? But Naomi, if you remember from the movie, she is Jordan Belfort's second wife. He broke up with her two years after the penny stocks. His first wife was not into the money. She was down to earth. <laughs> and he was like, I need a girl that's more materialistic. And he dumped her for Naomi, who has Gucci on every single day. Jordan's moseying to the front lawn, looks back at his beautiful mansion. Jordan's walking to his driver in the front of the house, looks back at the Italian marble columns, the American dream he has manifested for himself. And he makes a nod to the fact he got three hours of sleep and is about to go run his company again. Jordan thinks, America, I couldn't have afforded this. I couldn't have made my dream come true without this free market and country. It's a game of who could scam the best. And waiting for him inside to ream him out again is Naomi. And he's thinking, she scammed me pretty damn good. Little wife humor. Goes back up to his room. She's got a pinstripe soup, an $18,000 watch laid out for him, $2,500 black crocodile skin cowboy boots. He gets to spend some time with the baby. This is supposed to be Jordan's favorite part of his day. He said he would have went off the deep end if he didn't have this little time to check in with the daughter. And this is when you remember the scene from the movie. They use it in the third act, but Mommy comes in with her little salmon pink mini dress and drives Jordan Belfort crazy, saying, you're not going to have sex with me until you start buying me more shit. You know, she's using sex to manipulate the marriage, which Jordan knows he likes playing the game because he, uh, he gets his rocks off otherwise, so he might as well have a little fun in the household. 
And she uh, tells him she's not going to wear underwear around the house for years to come. And Jordan points out in the corner of his, in the corner of the nursing room, the nursery for the baby, one of the teddy bears was a camera. And he legitimately caught Naomi flirting or maybe doing more with one of their security guards. So he's going, you're not going to leave me. You're not going to take any of my money. I know what kind of shit you're up to. Wrapping up this first chapter, Jordan has to finish up this commuter routine, this circle of life. He is not in good standing with the old ball and chain, lifestyles of the rich and the dysfunctional. He's heading out front to his limo. Then they take the Long Island Expressway down to Stratton Oakmont's office. They go downtown to party and to do business, but most of their offices, they moved offices a million times as they upsized, doubled in size dozens of times. Most of those uh, offices were in Long Island. On the way out of town, Jordan passes all the golf courses that denied him membership due to their waspiness, and uh, he was Jewish too. So he is in the limo. He is approaching the office. It is one of the biggest days in Stratton Oakmont history. He rails a little white lightning on the Long Island Expressway. Definitely the highway with the most coke use in America. It's going to take us to Chapter 2, Stratford Oakmont. This was a really good scene in the movie, the way he came up with Stratford Oakmont. They were at the penny trading firm, and Jordan just picked the best brokerages there, the best salesman who could sell you garbage, and created a fake logo and said, Stratford Oakmont, the logo looks like the Blackwater symbol. And this gained them a lot of credibility. Gotta have a fancy name, a name that people would trust with their life savings. The current office has a three-story underground parking garage where, at any time of day, you could see one of the Stratford employees with a stripper. Jordan started the company. It was out of an old car dealership, so this is music to his ears, and even more a symphony to his ears is when he barges in the back entrance and sees his sea of young working men screaming into phones sweating with their jackets off every bead of sweat with crystallized cocaine inside of it it's a jolt of energy he created it broker slamming phones calling people cocksucker motherfucker on the phone cursing in wall street is a vocation it is a skill you get respect you usually can make more sales the better you could curse some of Jordan's tactics, this was great in the movie, and he does his like uh, motivational speaking tours now, Jordan Belfort, but he's a salesman. That's what he's great. He has the gift of gab. This guy could talk anybody in circles, so he would insult people, give them deadlines on the phone for the last second. It was like a concert ticket-buying website, and you felt like an urgency where you had to buy before he hung up the phone. It's crazy. He was the best at it. They show it well in the movie. It's 9.45 a.m. in the office. Some people are drunk, some people are high, but as long as you could dial that phone faster than 300 times in 8 hours, you can hang. Your drug problems do not matter. It's probably a performance enhancer. Jordan was beelining to his office. It was a big day, but unfortunately, he saw a young kid online shopping across the floor. So he struts over, he's in the middle of all the desks, something is up, it gets a little bit quieter, his leather, his black crocodile cowboy boots are clank, clank, he's getting closer, everybody wants to hear the lion roar. CEO Belfort starts the day off with a little morning dominance, 
tells the kid to pick up the fucking phone. This is why you drive a piece of shit Volkswagen here. As a rookie at Stratford, you could make $250,000 a year. Your first year there. Anything less was suspect, actually. By year two, you should be making 500 k double that. Or you're considered worthless and uncoachable. By your third year, what do you think then? If you're not making a million, you're a complete laughing stock. Get out of here. And they don't tell the sales assistants, aka glorified secretaries, the lowest people there are still making a hundred thousand dollars, and it's just because there's sexy ladies answering the phones. The first level is just to see if you're a feasible candidate. Wall Street only has so many hours that are open a day, you have to capitalize on it. If you're a dude looking for a new romper, you need to get out of the office. And if you're not willing to be rejected on the phone 300 times a day, there's someone else that will be. Jordan's personal assistant, Janet, is on the phone with him. Within minutes, she's uh, talking about his wife, Naomi, called pissed. She's recommending a $4,000 flower arrangement to be sent her way, as well as a big old shopping spree suggested flyer out to Italy, Venice for the weekend. Janet and his wife are really close, and they give him the best Vera Wang stock tips. He knows when it's about to explode when they have a big commercial coming out or a big line. This is when Jordan first mentions Danny was his name in the book, or you know him from Donnie in the movie, a 34-year-old Jewish kid. But they've been together for the past six years, starting Stratton. They met in that garage penny trader, and then they decided to start the place together. They met at a diner, if you remember. He saw his 87 Jaguar and was like, how do you make this much money? We both live at a crap place. I'm starting to work for you. Just tell me how you make that much money. Show me a pay stub. It was a really long build-up how they got to this awesome office, but it's not the fun part of the book anyway. It's just moving offices literally doubling in size. This is Jordan's day one, Donnie. They started it all from the ground up. He knows the racket. Jordan's about to go into his office, and Donnie is railing out a kid who had a fishbowl. This was a scene in the movie. He was cleaning out his fishbowl, and what did Donnie do? He ate the fish. This is why Jordan likes the guy. He puts on a show. He asserts dominance on the floor. And so it's a big meeting. This is what Jordan had to get to the office to. Another good one of his higher-ups, Andy, is in the room. He's the head of the corporate finance department on the phone when you're selling someone. They always told people to say, yeah, I'm a senior vice president here. It's a fake title, but it gets everyone's trust and attention. So Andy, corporate finance, whatever. This guy goes by Wigwam. His head is covered by donkey hair he's got the worst toupee in the game everybody rags on him for it guys making millions of dollars but at this 9 a.m meeting they are more so discussing the after party of the big trade that is going down for the day the big steve madden deal who they are just getting involved with is going public on nasdaq which you can only sell five percent of your stocks but they have very sneaky ways to unload hundreds of more than five percent of your shares this brings all that middle class up. Whoever else bought Steve Madden gets the illusionary money and can cash out, but everyone just doubles back down. It's a gamble. People that are in the market are usually just trying to fill that gambling hole, so they need a rat hole, you know, a guy to trade companies' money in their own name. And the SEC technically doesn't have a law on the books against this. Donnie and Jordan are having their office meeting, are also choosing who their scapegoat is going to be, who they're going to pin their rat hole on. 
and, and they're going to have a celebration after this. Most people know what's going on in the office. You just got to pray it's not you, and you're one of the hundred traders that makes hundreds off of it. It's a wolf pit. The SEC's been on Jordan's tail for several years now, and they think they can get him on this big trade. And there in his office, his secretary, Janet, is saying, do not pick up the phone. Stay in your office. I'm telling them you're in another country. It's a literal game of cat and mouse. They're sniffing at his door. Wrapping up this chapter, another guy barges into the morning meeting, adding more chaos. This guy's name is Mad Max, known for his temper. It was Jordan's dad in the movie. It's 9 a.m. Guy's got a styrofoam cup full of vodka, and it's probably his second. And Mad Max is, uh, furied up for the morning, fury-roaded. They get him to shit on Kenny, the kid that's going to take the fall for the entire trade. They'll give him a nice severance package, and he has Stratford Oakmont on his resume. He could go trade at a really big firm on the actual street itself. They'll take care of him. They'll, <laughs> he'll make more from that trade than all of the SEC agents that are barking on his door. Mad Max is also saying in the office, the company car usage was $470,000 last month. Only $20,000 of that was for the legitimate business. What is VJ Entertainment? That's a stripper firm. He knows the IRS is going to call them out for... The IRS has three martini lunches. If you go out for like a business meeting, <laughs> like people go on a business meeting if you have more than two martinis you're you can be fined by the sec people go on uh, vacations with their freaking company cards <laughs> that's technically all illegal but it's such small amounts of money jordan's drinking million dollar martinis that's when they're chiming in Twenty thousand out of 470 half a million illegitimate at the end of the day though even after yelling at everybody as the party is almost about to start at the end of the trading day Mad Max seems to be the happiest one there. He's a little league coach. The guy's an alcoholic, but Jordan is saying he's functioning, and that's the type of people that can survive in my office. It is still midday. That's about lunchtime and the beginning of Stratford Oakmont Chapter 3, the big trade. Next one to barge into the office is Steve Madden. He's making his way to the boardroom where everybody, the big trading floor with the big stage in front of everybody, and they are not having it. Steve Madden just mumbles up there, his shoulders curled in, uh, hiding under the brim of his hat, dressed like a hobo, high fashion man. These people have $2,000 suits on, and he's selling to, like, suburban moms. They don't care about his shoes. They boo Steve Madden off stage. The person that just made them all of this money, especially in that crowd, one of the toughest crowds you'll ever face. Time literally is money. You can't pussyfoot around anything. Jordan Belford takes the stage of letting everybody know the raw numbers to end the day. Almost $20 million on the day for Stratford Oakmont. That's $3 million right away into one of Jordan's rat holes, which he could buy back at six times that worth. So he's making $18 million himself off of this day. It's not legal, but it's impossible to prove, so he does it anyway. His big uh, line in the speech he quoted in the book was, Without action, the best intentions in the world are still only intentions. So even if you are a preacher, you can literally read the Bible year after year, the same stories to people about feeding the poor. And if your church doesn't have a food pantry, is it as helpful? You know, practice what you preach is the point of his method. And his method is overdosing until your true addiction is money. 
he ended the speech saying, I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. Everybody goes crazy. They got 30 minutes left in the workday and they dial faster than they've ever dialed before. That rhetoric is better than any cocaine they've been sniffing. The trading price was opened at 550 per share. And, you know, they were the majority stockholders, so you're not allowed to dump more than 5%. That would be a literal pump and dump. But by the end of the day, it was up around $14, I'm pretty sure that they were saying. <laughs> so it's only the actual company might only be worth $30 million, but the brokerage that was dealing with it off of commission just blew up by $60 million. After he makes the speech, Belfort times his quaalude just right. He has the four stages of the lewd. The tingle phase, when it's just kicking in the slur and drool, and then the amnesia phase. They have their, you know, the mid, the dwarf tossing party. They had to have cattle prods on deck. You cannot look a little person in the eye or they will yell at you. There are all these mysterious Wall Street rules about very different grade prostitutes they had they had the top of the line for this party and little people entertainers how far you can push them by throwing money in their face so victor that kid that they were blaming the entire operation on doesn't get to party with them at the end of the day he apparently has been saying he wants to try to open his own firm and so jordan's like talking to him in private at this point you we know what we did for each other today i will definitely back your firm we're going to be co-firms we're going to be partners in crime and business jordan knows the small success rate of running a brokerage firm this close in long island and <laughs> although vic has so many chinese connects he knows he could use this as either someone to stomp on and double his size eventually or to draw more heat off of him with the sec Jordan tells one of his main accountants to wait three months so he could unload some more shares and tells Vic to just go, you know, spend some time in the Caribbean or Pacific Islands are probably where those rich people are. But this is a territory war, you see, and the wolf is not going to like another dog Vic sniffing around taking his, some of his territory. Which brings us to book four. The land of the rat holes. Guess where that is? Where are all the banks? Where did Apple offshore $2 trillion? Switzerland. I think they went through Ireland first, but there are rat holes all over Europe. Jordan Belfort is flying in his Gulfstream private jet all the way to Switzerland. He's on Quaaludes. He's on Restoril. Big point of the book here. I'm getting avalanche was that he can't even make it through a plane ride without being loaded on drugs. And he remembers it. Of what he remembers upon showing up, there was a Swiss girl, a hooker, that his associates he was about to meet with had set up for him. Knowing rumors of Jordan Belfort's addictions and attitudes, they needed all this lined up for his short business trip. He's meeting with Gary, who is a guy in charge of Dollar Time Group, a giant Swiss money hole bank. And he links up with Donnie downtown before they're looking for quaaludes. Can't make it through the night. They wound up going to a couple clubs. So just arriving to a prostitute wasn't enough to get him to sleep. They spent $4,000 on a hotel room that the one they showed up to wasn't lavish enough. And he had to get his own Ethiopian black-skinned hooker. He was very detailed about this. In the AM... He jumps into the light blue Rolls Royce. That's a million dollar paint job on top of everything alone. 
flushed his quaaludes down the toilet to try to prove a point to Naomi. But Donnie luckily smuggled more into his butt, so what is he really proving? He's going to get high anyway. At the meeting, there's several Stratonites and one of his New York SEC lawyers that has an inside job, and they have very many communication issues. They're speaking two different languages, basically, but money is a single language. They uh, really have to like bullshit for 15 minutes just to keep the customs and jordan steps on that after like two minutes jordan mr time is money is like you're not gonna fuck me over right and he goes well we have a uh, customs here unless the uh united states plans on invading switzerland your bank account is as safe as my wife to you mr dirty belford Jordan is made to look a fool but he doesn't even care as uh mad max would always say they're smart jordy they're smart and you're dumb. But Jordan has the Popeye power, the cocaine on his side. He's an addict and that pushed him to be more successful than anyone. Comes to bite him in the ass potentially later when he can't make it through a private <laughs> jet ride to a country. That should be a vacation on its own. Gary, the Swiss connect, he has a ton of <laughs> holes in the mountains of the Alps. And he's able to stow four million straight away of Jordans just through wires. So they're not having to like traffic money overseas like Pablo Escobar at the point. They're still doing white collar crime and they're loving it. Jordan remembers something he heard from his uh, accountant parents. He's always hearing on one of his shoulders the devil and the angel. On one is barking into his ear the rules. They go... Two people make a crime, three people make a conspiracy. Now he has several nations and different banks tied into this. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> he could go down for an, a lifetime of crime if he doesn't have enough money to grease many judges and juries even. And before letting him go, I think I said Gary. The guy's name was Sorrel. That's the uh, English translation from Swedish. Sorrel to Gary, just like Jeff to Geoff. He says, Mr. Belfort, how do you have such a wandering eye with such a beautiful wife? He's going, maybe this, if you had someone you love so much more, this would take care of your unpleasableness. He always needs something to take him to the next level. This is what his father was saying as well when he married Naomi. He was like, you have a beautiful wife. The spark is supposed to fade out. You can't just try to marry someone else. But he's always looking to rev the engine, keep it up, take it to another notch. So Sorrel also lets him know some business before letting him go and all the chumminess going, you know, if you had some more associates in uh, the UK, I could get some more money out for you. Jordan's going, holy shit, I know someone that wouldn't be happy for me to use them, but I'm going to abuse them over in England. We're going to get a couple more million out of this this trip. Takes us to Chapter 5, Old London Town. Donnie and Jordan are on the jet heading over to London Heathrow, probably some private airport. They are <laughs> they're getting high off of the ass ludes, Donnie's ass ludes, the ones that he he's probably pooping out several bags all weekend. Jordan's lower body is in massive back pain, which he unloads onto the person he's meeting with upon immediately Patricia. This is Naomi's mother aunt. She lives uh, right near London's Hyde Park. And Patricia has no problem with the overall plan that's going on. She says, you're young. I know you like to make risks. Of course, I would do anything for family. She knows she can't get caught, of course, because we learned before Jordan can't beat around the bush. He was just like, you know, I'd set you up. You get $10,000 a day you're spending. You're going to deck everything out. 
And that's really just because he has to launder $10,000 a day. But he's going, I'm going to treat you so well. Nothing can ever go wrong. You can plead ignorance. Before they end their scenic meeting, walking around Hyde Park, Patricia leaves Jordan with a English proverb, some words of wisdom. She's going, money is the tool, not the mason. You should use it to control other people, but don't let it control you. So she knows how to speak his psychopathic language and is letting him know that the money's getting the best of him. You shouldn't be in the middle of Europe to play this game anymore. You're going off of the Monopoly board. Jordan is uh, thinking that Patricia is hitting on him. That's the only language he knows how to speak. He winds up trying to kiss her, pushed away. She doesn't even tell Naomi about this. She is the ultimate bro, anti-Patricia out here laundering millions. And Jordan, never having this cathartic opening up to anyone, realizes at the end of his little session, he's a successful failure. Take it for what it's worth. He's letting the doubts get the best of him. He's going to have to fly back to Switzerland. His insomnia is in full swing now, having these realizations. And uh, Swirl, you know, had another five-star hotel for him, but... <laughs> Jordan spends his time up calling Janet the secretary, having her rent out on Airbnb a historic castle. Only the best for this guy. Rents out the entire top Florida nightclub for him and Donnie as soon as they get back into Switzerland. At the second meeting here, Swirl had a guy uh, named Roland. Not too important, you don't need to remember that. He was a forger. So Swirl, we're talking about more than two guys makes a conspiracy. He has a guy that is just there to make fake documents, which Jordan had to learn how to do himself to start that whole business up. But they're saying over in Europe, you could get away with this crap. Easy peasy. Swirl making him feel a little bit more reassured now that he has over tens of millions tied up in this crap there's this thing called rule 41 which oversees which makes money stashing an unbreakable law nobody's allowed to go snooping into your purse or you're under your mattress and counting your money and trying to tax it every single year or have an estate tax when you die you're allowed to stash it in these little rat holes Jordan winds up getting set up with Roland, so he's making this guy work overseas as well. If all those phone lines are being tapped, he's just setting up a case for him to get clapped later on. But a forger? Have you ever seen that movie, uh, Gone in 60 Seconds? No, that's a crappy Nick Cage one. Whatever the one is with Leonardo DiCaprio when he forges plane tickets or checks when you used to be able to do that, that is a great person to have on your side before the digital age. Sorrel, full of good news today, told Jordan that he has transfer pricing, which magic oversee inflation will make his money worth two and a half times as much. I don't know how that's possible. Maybe every time you go to a friggin' airport and have to pay at those money exchange currency stations and it jacks you up, how do you pay? <laughs> Either way you travel, it's more expensive. Your currency devalues. Suspect. Jordan's making money off of transferring money. He's got venture capital shell firms overseas. He's fully tied in. This is Chapter 6, The Smuggle Sisters. <laughs> it's Labor Day weekend. He's back on West Hampton Beach after two whole weeks in Switzerland. He's got 300 stacks of $10,000 on the bed, so $3 million that him and his wife are having sex on in the West Hamptons just... Probably a lot of people's heaven. How could you not want to do that? This is the beginning of Jordan's carelessness. 
good writer he is, he's saying we're, we're literally fornicating on top of U.S. federal currency. You should never, ever have $3 million cash. You watch these shows like Ozark, people dig holes and throw money in it, put it in the trash. That's too traceable. This guy, Todd, who's a drug dealer on the East Coast, gets in touch with Jordan. He's got a he's got some lemons for Jordan, and what a perfect time to reach out because Jordan is trying to get a little money overseas. He's going, if I could just not wire all the money, I could if I had mules, basically, who will take money to their tits, you could get <laughs> cash overseas. You could launder at triple the rates. It's like hunting. Instead of going out and wasting your time, you set a snare, and it's working for you 24-7. Every $100 bill, this guy, um, Todd, the drug kingpin, was letting Jordan know $100 bills have a thin strip of metal in it. So he's going, I know certain airports, TSA agents, they didn't even have TSA back then. So he said, security people, I know that let me fly free. We could go through there. Or if you want to split everything into $50 bills, it's not going to be as efficient, obviously. But we'll get through any security then. So this guy, Todd, knows how to get through any sort of airport. He gets five of his strippers who are making $300,000 a year now to just traffic money back and forth on Jordan's Gulf Stream when it's available. <laughs> He's having the best weekend in the Hampton, running a kingpin of his own. He's out to dinner in what he calls his words, Jew Hampton. <laughs> All the waspy people again are looking down on him and the... Southampton snobby-nosed men. Jordan likes it there, though. It's a younger party vibe, he says. A lot of Stratonites you'll run into out there with Playboy of the Year. And Patricia is out there for a visit. Maybe not the place you want to bring your great aunt, but she's meeting up with Naomi's mom. Patricia and Suzanne, they are the Smuggle Sisters. They are Suzanne's aunts, and they're going to start trafficking on the double for Jordan. They go out to dinner, though, on this Jew Hampton beach. They wind up going to a sushi place. They're getting a fleet of sushi boats. They drink a bottle of wine, he said, which on their first clink, a toast to four people, was a $500 drink of glass. And apparently, both Suzanne and Patricia are dropping knowledge. They're going, you know, some of these regulations overseas aren't quite the deal. They're barking up Jordan's tree, and he's going, these girls are cool. Maybe this was their plan, too, to get Suzanne involved in the racket. And she's talking about, I'm moving to a new place, Jordan, and uh, maybe I can move some things also for you. Kicking him in the shin as hard as he can under the table, because Jordan is uh, spaced out in a lewd phase. He's got a drool going into his sushi, and he's like, oh yeah, as you say more money, I'm in. For the first time, Naomi was saying, I don't need all of this money. Why are you getting my family involved here? And Jordan's like, whoa, he loves arguing with her. I thought you liked money. I thought every, every dollar counts, baby. He's going, your family is hooked in now. There's no going back. <laughs> Healthy marriage. Suzanne, though, she was excited to help. She wants some excitement in her life. They managed to stuff $900,000 into her pocketbook on that day alone. And Jordan is able to make his play and go up to like three times the pace. Eight times the pace. He's got Todd's Hookers as well. Todd's Hookers Industries. <laughs> Danny, Donnie Danny, always under the influence of the Ludes, had to meet with Todd, which was not a good thing. 
Todd is a straight edge. He's a cocaine, a stimulant guy, and he's going, Danny is always spaced out. He is going to get us caught on one of these drops. And apparently, Donnie, Danny, was in the slur phase. And at the meeting, he fumbled a bag he was handing off, a suitcase full of money. Cops driving by saw it. He tries to, like, run away. He puts a gun in a VHS store, a very high-profile case for a CEO of a company. This was a terrible look, and it tipped the FBI, got him a huge in, a way to subpoena a lot of people in Stratton, Oakmont. Jordan had to make his way to a payphone to get this information because he knew his home was tapped a long time ago. Jordan is realizing that Danny is on un, he's unhinged. He's letting the quaaludes affect his work. This guy cannot be trusted. It's going to take us to chapter 7, one of the biggest plot points of the book, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's around Christmas and New Year's. Jordan and Naomi take their super yacht from St. Martin to St. Bart's. He's doing quaaludes all along the way. Just sailing along the Caribbean, drinking rum like pirates. He is basically running Stratford from his yacht. He's not telling, he's like, we're going on honeymoon 2.0, baby. It's going to be a beautiful time, revitalize our marriage. In actuality, he doesn't want to be on U.S. soil. He's a maritime criminal running Stratford from his yacht. So Steve Madden is leveled off at $8 a share. It ballooned up to like 15 triple from that first to release at 550 but overall, he's in the green, and it's all upon what you can evaluate at the broker's level. So he made millions more, but he made the average Joe two fifty per share. The SEC doesn't care. They want to win the game. of That's your career. You just want to put people away, get your awards and your little chest medals. The subpoenas and the cases they're coming after slapping the Stratonites with our high-pressure sales tactics and stock manipulations. We just learned a couple uh, months ago in Chris Hedges' America the Farewell Tour, Goldman Sachs, Northrop, and a few other big banks in 2015 pleaded guilty to admitting to conspiring to rig world currencies. So like we said, when three organizations get involved, it's no longer pure business. It's if too many powerful players come together, it's not fair anymore. So they're busting the game up. The mo- he's basically monopolized a portion of Wall Street, they're telling him. So the employees know this is public knowledge. Donnie blew this up with his friggin' uh, 16-year-old couldn't handle his drug type of deal. And the employees are uh, seeing these reports in the news and people start selling Stratford shares. It's a bad look. Jordan is thinking he's going to have to step down. He doesn't want to destroy his own child. So Jordan, you know, thinking this is the end. Maybe I should find a protege, someone who's worthy of the empire. Nope. He's going to take it a step up. He's going, where can I find more rat holes? He takes the LIE home, Long Island Express. He's driven it 200,000 times maybe 2000 <laughs> but this stretch of the expressway has been under construction for or five years he's going where is this tax money where are these legal fees going to go that i'm going to pay to the state they are stealing it too it goes to the clinton foundation at least jordan's illusion gets more people rich he's thinking about the war costs he was writing whole pages jordan got political in his book here while he was coked out on the expressway Following day, he goes to one of the best steakhouses near the Stratford Oakmont offices. He gets the surf and turf. 
and Victor is there at the meeting, the guy who started his own firm, and he's going, people from the SEC are coming to my office asking about you, Jordan. And Jordan lies to the group. So now he's a double agent. He sold out his own people saying, all right, I'll step down. It's all you guys from now on. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing, even to his fellow wolves. And Victor goes, <laughs> this guy who just started his own company, you should probably, that should be your main priority, he goes, Jordan, I swear complete loyalty to you. Tell me what stocks to buy. Tell me if uh, my shares should be invested in Stratford at this vital time. And he's just, his fangs are watering at this point. This is the shark tank, this steakhouse at the moment. And this is what Jordan lives for. He knows he just conned the hell out of Vic. And the worst thing's happening ever. He's go. we're going to have to start opening offices in New Jersey. Ah! Trading offices there because there's too many New York agents even snooping around the Stratford office. Lunch meeting is over. Jordan is back in his office and the lewd paranoia kicks in. Finishing up work, getting ready to go home. And Janet barges in with a call from Naomi. Two FBI agents were at the house. And they were asking for a copy of Jordan's wedding photos. The big tie there is that the Aunt Patricia and Suzanne, who are laundering money overseas, are in those wedding photos. Good way to put the face to it. That's hard evidence for the guys on the case. Nine days later, Jordan got a private investigator named dick to watch his back because no lawyer is going to follow you around let you know if there's a state tale on you he's meeting for dinner with Bo and jim b who were his ex-fbi agent friends and so this is like an ask all tell all for jordan you guys used to work for the sec how much trouble am i in here and they go you could probably get caught it looks like you've covered your tails up to this point you'll be good but do not try to bug the FBI. Their phones have double taps. They could see who's looking at them. And do not, by the mercy of God, try to bribe any of the agents, not even their secretaries. And this leads to, you remember from the movie, the famous yacht scene where he invites the FBI agents, offers them some models, offers them some caviar. And he goes, could you say that again into the microphone? I think you just tried to bribe a federal officer. So Jordan Belfort, he was so high that he thought he could break the number one rule of their thing. Don't get bribed. These guys have King Midas money and can get you off the subway from just one dirty money case. And if you get accused in court of trying to uh, corrupt an FBI agent, that's called, I think that's a life sentence in its own. On the way to the office one of the following days, Jordan's uh, driver, the mute, the guy who's never talked to him, has been going, so I heard you're about to step down. This is the end of an era. Jordan's like, why is my driver giving me back talk? Who the hell does he think he is? He's still a driver for a living. Obviously, after firing the guy, this revved up Jordan. This makes him not want to step down. He's going, Donnie? is my heiress to the throne. This guy's an idiot. He ate a fish last week, and he's going to be running a multi-million dollar company. He fumbled the drugs the other day. He ruined the trade. When he shows up to the office, too, Danny is giving more of a comedy show than he is a rhetorical speech for all the people to dial faster than ever during the day. But he can't be mad for milking the misconception. If you were about to be named Forbes' next richest guy... You would definitely have it up, too. That's living in the moment. Jordan was in the back of the room. He watched Danny's speech and was like, there's no way this guy could run a company. Every single point he makes boils down to sex. 
This is not good leadership. He also thinks Danny probably dropped a lewd at 5 in the morning to time it perfectly to alarm clock set. <laughs> but the SEC buyout is looking like $180 million of Stratton. They want to take a big old bite off of the whale carcass, which again, like Vic, it's just going to spread apart and it's going to repopulate like a culture of bacteria. But man, <laughs> that's a big chunk of money, $180 million bucks. Why don't they just print it? They just print it $2 trillion. That's a lot of growth that goes away as well. Steve Madden alone is still rising at $50,000 a month. This is like a mystery of the market. No shoe company ever, even if it is... What is a popular shoe? The Gucci flip-flops are not worth $40 million. It's still cheap Chinese plastic. It's the illusion, the celebrities that you could get to wear it. And like Jordan Belfort, the best trader, when his firm gets behind it, it bumps these things up, makes the Gucci flop traders more <laughs> more lucrative. And then the people that buy them get laid more, all the people that are posting it on their Snapchats. That's the real trickle down, the pure market. So Jordan, seeing that $180 million bailout, is 15 minutes into his farewell speech, and he feels like he's giving his own eulogy in his own cathedral that he built. And he remembers the Forbes article, the single one in 1985 that blew him up, bought countless young hungry men to his firm to the end of time. All the many times they doubled in size, all of the sex he had in the elevators, thinking about all that, and then Danny turning the company into a circus, it's already a freak show. Jordan's doing the math in his head. Maybe if I reschedule the FBI meetings, I could go a little bit longer. Looks over at Mad Max, who's mixing another vodka tonic, 10 a.m. He's the most stable guy there, and he's drunk 24-7. But Jordan sees the sea of faces and knows these people need a leader. He reassures the company that he settled with the SEC and his own money. He lies to everyone's face. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. I paid the SEC off with $180 million of my own money. He probably doesn't have that much liquid cash. And the SEC wouldn't take that as viable credit. They want him to do some time. Make an example. Rat. So Jordan goes around the room with his most electric speech, a wolf in sheep's clothing, and is going, I made you a millionaire. I met you when you were indebted getting your kid through college. I made you a millionaire. He realizes, I am not the bad guy here. I am not leaving. Danny, go back to your office. Chapter 8, The Ludes. In reality, he went home later that week, and Jordan Belfort stepped down. He's like, $180 million, I don't have this money they know, like I just said. He's into his forced retirement, basically. High as tits. Donnie is high as well. He said holding his baby was uh, one of the first times during this period. He learned unconditional love. He was there for the birth. It finally is sinking in. Tensions grow between him and Naomi. She does not like when he is home. So his drug habits increase. Work was probably, he was a workaholic. That was filling part of the hole for him. But he has such a big hole that he had to do drugs and work at that level. He's going to start looking for answers. It is March 3rd, and February was that uh, Steve Madden deal. He made $4 million within a month. Legally, that was. We know how many side accounts he made with that six-time sex-tuppling deal. So Jordan Belfort finally gets in touch with a drug dealer who has the Lemon 714s, 
$500 a pill from that Indian doctor who originated it in the 1940s. He calls Donnie over. They both give themselves enemas. They vomit, get their system totally pure for this experience. They take one, half an hour passes by. They go to his home gym. You think it's not working? We need to take a couple more. And unfortunately, they had a delayed fuse from so many years being put on the shelf. These guys got kicked in the dick extra hard, extra late. Jordan had to drive over to the country club to uh, talk on an unbugged line. And by the time he was driving home, he crashed his car because the lewds kicked in. He was in a new phase. He was in the cerebral palsy phase. He was drooling all over his steering wheel. I like how he wrote this in the book. He goes, I was able to drive the whole way home with my chin resting on the steering wheel. Physically impossible. Do you live in a straight line from the country club? Good way to describe the phase, the haze he was in. He didn't even remember the periods of time. The movie, The Cuts, showed that very well. And the guy on the line at the house was Detective Barsini, one of the guys barking up Jordan's tree. Donnie picked up the phone and was going, money laundering? I don't know. He was giving up their whole plan again. He was too looted up to do the job. Just like when he was making that trade with Todd earlier. Jordan's crashing into everybody's mailbox in old Brookville. The police are at his door the following days. They're saying, you need to make a deal with the devil, which you already have. You need to make a deal with the judge. Give up your uh, drugs. Give up everything. Otherwise, we're going to take everything from you. That night, Jordan tested positive for cocaine, methacholine. That's... uh, He's doing his own, he's doing rich people super meth, amphetamines, benzos, MDMA, opiates, pot, mushrooms. Luckily, this doesn't matter, you know, if drugs are in your system. How is that all in your system in one time? It gets out within like 72 hours for the effect of the book. You can't get arrested if it's in your system and it's not on you. He was out of control. Two days later, he started trying to get a uh, doctor's appointment for new drugs. And this is where the story gets a little hazy. We are off the main point and uh he's not like getting into recovery at this point he goes down to miami starts meeting a bunch of sketchy people as he buys like a strip club he's got to launder more money buying stupid apartments down around miami jordan got a 200 like a 200 million dollar credit line from a casino he's finding his own new ways to launder money you ever seen in like the godfather in their awesome desks where they have the drug drawer the gun drawer and they always have casino chips in there too because what if society went down i'm sure casino chips would be some sort of currency you could always go and cash those in it's off the books and he's finding his own ways to gamble the guys from stratford come down just to check on him i mean he's in his own ambient phase which they all have fun on that together they're influencing him But he realizes they're in their own drug holes too, finding their own schemes to make money. This is like true scum Lord Jordan. He's doing it off the books. There was a night where one of the Stratfordites were there and he almost drowned in the pool and had to be dragged out by a guy named Kenny. And uh, so we gave him $2 million after just as a thank you for saving my life. But Jordan... It just keeps getting lower. You see, you hit new levels and know this is the point. It makes you nervous the way this guy just doesn't hit an end point. It's June of uh, 1994 about. Jordan visits Stratford, Oakmont. He hasn't been there in a long time, but Steve Madden is still doing well. So they had another hill. They're going up to another new apex without Jordan. Not great for him to see because they're having another champagne with hookers. They're bringing 
all types of partying into the office. But Jordan gets uh, word here that Patricia has died. That's not good. He was able to get like $4 million a month through her alone into the European Union. So this is a big hole in his boat. And then another big bad news. Big bad news in the Bureau at this time. Sorrel, the Swedish banker, his connect, is in jail with Kaminsky, Todd, the uh, drug dealer. They were in Miami together, and they got caught on some just BS, having a good time in Miami with substances, got looked into their backstory. They are done. Jordan's house is crumbling before him. As a last resort, he tries to get that uh, forger, Boggs, to set up a ton of rat holes, which at the end of the book he kind of alludes to he got away with. But at this time, he was scrambling to stow away as much money as possible. Which brings us to chapter 9, the most powerful drug. You'd think you know what it is at this point. It is 10 a.m. Jordan is, where is he? Nowhere to be found. And Naomi is giving birth to their first son. Really big sad story here. We're running over time. I'm going to sum it up for you. The baby had like a heart disease. And so Jordan was donating $75,000 a day to this hospital. They like named the whole wing after him. But they're like, money can only do so much, man. Your kid has this insanely rare disease. Jordan's going, karma's catching up with me. It's It's a sick baby, man. But he's doing anything he can. Money, unfortunately, is not enough. He has to learn the hardest way again. Jordan is... Not fully getting sober at this point. He will go to rehab shortly. He's just like in and out of sobriety at this point. They have a couple more kids. He's not there for them. The marriage is getting worse. In September of 1995, Donnie was kind of taking care of Jordan. He was like, I'm not going to let your house go away. That was at the very end of the movie. But he was taking care of him throughout the entire time he had to step down. And Jordan still made $50 million in revenue that year. Steve Madden is still killing it. One of the guys from The Office like went to high school with Steve Madden, too. So for the artists, if you're still listening to a show about Wall Street, it's um like you got to get lucky. You got to go to high school with a guy who's at the proper brokerage who could blow up your stock and make your designs look above the average. And so Jordan, again, this wasn't the last <laughs> before when he crashed his white Ferrari wasn't the last time he got into another bad one at this time. And he was put on like a breathing tube. His doctor was like, did you just have a kid die? Is anything going to get to you? And this doctor apparently got to him the most. Said uh, he like advised a rehab facility for him. At the end of the book, we'll probably skip over it. They wind up living in one of the same beaches in the West Hamptons. So this guy was, uh, he's a super rich doctor, but he also got involved in the sobriety uh, thing he got a lot of pe- he was like on billboards on Long Island and they wound up living next to each other so Jordan always had a rock or someone to talk to and uh, keep him on the right tracks at the end but this guy after the car crash and the white Ferrari million 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 dollar vehicle he ruined it he ruined a lot of things he could have stepped away at many times Jordan is gonna try to put the pieces back together and I said three days he was on a breathing tube it was three weeks And he was coming out of withdrawal because he couldn't do drugs while he was on a breathing tube. So that kind of woke him up a little bit. Even though the day he woke up, he took 18 quaaludes. But he was saying, I never want to feel that way again. He did slip back into a coma from those 18 quaaludes. So they didn't really put it on the books as him overdosing. But something happened at this period of his life where George Belfort did go under from the drugs and he decided to clean it up. Chapter 10, Rough Waters. 
Jordan thinks he's feeling better. He only did a week at the rehab facility. Was like, this is nothing. But he stayed off campus and didn't take it seriously at all. He's taking the misses on a yacht trip. And uh, they got their 170-footer. This is a nice little, the one he named after her, but it still has a helipad on top. Ten days, not a long time. They wind up going to the Mediterranean. And this is when, the scene in the movie, he takes Donnie and his wife along. Donnie's wife, apparently, this guy, he only does business with people he knew from high school. Donnie's wife was his cousin. Not a second cousin, not a far-out hick from the south, not... Has nothing to do with New York. First cousin, Jewish. They grew up together in the same synagogue. He married her. They're on a yacht together. <laughs> they almost die together. In actuality, in the book, Jordan said there were like two other couples Naomi was trying to get close with. This guy, Rob, that he thinks she might have been cheating on him with. And he's like, I'm not going to die with fucking Rob, my um, wife's mistress here. I'm not going to die sober. Donnie, get the lewds. They were off the coast of Italy. It was in the movie. You know, I'm saying he does the timing a lot better. They were jetting over to Switzerland to secure some more accounts, but they got caught in rough water off the coast of Italy. The ship got broadsided by a rogue wave, and four freighters had to come over and break the waves for them to finally get the National Guard in. It was like a three-hour rescue, very expensive rescue. But that same day, True story. Same day, following day, they called his G6, his Gulfstream, to come pick them up in Italy. And a bird flew in the engine. So he was supposed to die then, too. Jordan Belford is like, death, the devil is knocking on my door. Car crash, my child, uh, my private jet, this boat, the overdose. I should be dead many times over. It's time to change. They get back to America. It's nine months later, April of 1997. And uh, Jordan has his last cocaine bender. There's always one more. Apparently he was sleeping three hours a week shooting at his mailman. We're out of the economic point. He is finally into a full gummo cocaine descent of madness. Drug-induced. Jordan's personal relationship with uh, Steve Madden. I mean, a lot of these professional people has soured. He's telling them to sell shares, giving them bad advice. So he is on Donnie's level. He's letting the drugs affect his work. Still a convincing guy, though. People trust his word. Jordan got Wigwam to liquidate 100,000 shares of Steve Madden. And which was, what was that before? Six bucks a share. He's got millions and millions of dollars coming his way still. So he's kind of putting it together. But he's still chasing the high of the money high. And obviously the 25 grams of coke he's doing a day high. Jordan, this is when he buys the house out in Wasp Hamptons. The West Hamptons winds up living next to that doctor. Everybody there hates him, especially because his addiction's at the all-time high, and he ran into the doctor. It was like, Jesus, he got a second chance at rebirth, and the doctor was like, I could see you haven't cleaned up your act. Here's that address again, buddy. Get the fuck down to this facility. The Duchess is about to break up with him, too, so he's like, maybe if this will help me... Save my marriage. All of the money in the world didn't keep her by my side. Maybe I actually have to be a good person. The next morning, you know, <laughs> Nadine's moving her shit into the closet. She threw all of his stuff onto the front yard. And so Jordan hops into his newest whip, a Rolls Royce. He brings $50,000 worth of cash and a box full of drugs. Hunter S. Thompson style. And he actually hoofs it down to the <laughs> the rehab facility that was mentioned. With drugs. He is a fugitive, but...
But he knows if he ever wants to touch his kids again, Naomi's not going to let him unless he gets cleaned up. He got his stomach pumped the day before to try to take it legitimate, and he is at what was called Del Rey Asylum. This was the first time in months that he fell asleep without cocaine in his system. He wouldn't have been able to without his roommate he was talking about all night. This kid was obsessed with Avogadro's number, the fucking Fibonacci sequence. He was some sort of savant, got addicted to the liquid. And uh, he was thinking about his Swiss customs officials there, all the people he fucked over, helps him get to bed. (laughs) That's his new drug, just stewing in his missteps. He always thought, being the high-frequency guy that he was, that addicts were losers. They have to be avoided at all costs. They'll bring down your circle. But now he's realizing it's a genetic flu. Mad Max, who represented his dad in the movie, The guy was obviously an alcoholic. He has the addiction in his DNA, so he's realizing, coming to the terms, it's not just losers here. This kid, the Avogadro's kid, could have probably read stock trends better than any sort of quantum computer. It goes up, it goes down. At the end of the day, nobody knows how it goes. That's why uh, somebody confident like Jordan can sell the illusion. But there's no illusion here. He's slowly sobering up at the Delray Center. Brings us to our last chapter 11, reintegration. You got to get back to normal somehow, some new normal. He goes to another center, the Talbot Recovery Marsh. It's only 10 minutes from a private airport, obviously why he chose it. Jordan has been planning his escape the whole time. That's how he gets through the weeks there. He's going Andy Dufresne saying, you're either living or you're dying, and I'm going to live because I already wrote the book. I'm going to live by fucking planning a fake escape. But all the people here, this chapter was probably disrespectful to... Anybody who's experiencing these types of things, but he's like, the guards there, the nurses are after me, man. They're trying to keep me in here. They keep sedating me. He, like, tried to incite a riot. The point of this chapter was he's trying to say, I can convince anybody. I could convince hungry young men to make millions of dollars. I could convince these addicts to revolt and try to overturn this facility. And it's nothing for Jordan. He could pay to keep the facility running for every single patient. So he's just having a little bit of fun with it. He gives his famous pencil speech. I don't know. Did he really come up with this? He's a good salesman. Sold the book to me. Yo, the way I buy these books, I used to make 90 calls within four hours, outbound calls. I'm a university call center. And we got, well, I got, I was the number one caller almost every week in office of 20 people. Humble brag here, outright brag. Amazon gift cards are funding Nick's nonfiction here. Jordan Belfort and his famous pencil speech he came up with on the office they were like Jordan we're gonna kick you out of this facility you have to make one more speech otherwise you're gone and so he's like I'm gonna turn all of you into millionaires here today as soon as you get out you need a new addiction (laughs) going gets all the principles and he takes the pencil out of his pocket gives it to someone who's like send I'm gonna sell you this pencil write down your name for me so I can hire you but I don't have a pencil zoom in on Jordan he just sold everybody in the room a dollar pencil he just made thousands of dollars in front of your eyes he's showing you this has been his underlying uh, ethos this guy's ego his super ego all along he's been a salesman and salesmen are usually fueled by this mindset when is the next you're not working for a salary you don't like the idea of i go home every week with this much money just like the guy next to me you're a fucking salesman you're a competitive person and you want to bury everybody next to you in the ground and have that bigger check that bigger rush because you know the lows and the highs 
So Jordan, this is not the place for him, but he gets his um chip. He gets the hell out of there. He does clean up his act. He's back at the mansion on the West Hamptons. He settles there. He doesn't need to be jetting into... He's got enough retirement money, all that bullshit. And unfortunately, I wish I had a princess ending. But again, this is lifestyles of the rich and the dysfunctional. So even the duchesses that get to live the high lifestyle... Again, take those giant losses. She got kicked out of the castle. Jordan and her got divorced. But it was really when he found out that he was being uh, subpoenaed again. He was getting a lot more money having to be paid for legal fees. And Naomi's like, I'm out. So it was only the money. Jordan was pissed, but he moves on. Again, we learned in the book more reality than the movie. He uh, winds up marrying a longtime girlfriend, so probably somebody he knew throughout the entirety of his life events here and cheated with her many times. So he cheated on his first wife with Naomi. We'll see if that's what the deal is with this third marriage. No disrespect. But this guy, Jordan Belfort, he's selling people on um, motivation, on moving up to the American dream and the next level, and now getting clean. Apparently his second book... um, Catching the Wolf of Wall Street does praise sobriety a little bit more instead of this Bible of drug romanticization. The Wolf of Wall Street, it's a fun ride, though. You can't deny that. We don't need to stew in the details of the depressing ending. Let's thank Jordan Belfort for a very fun start to July. Go out there, have a hustling summer. You, too, can sell $20,000 worth of ice cream on the beach. I believe in you. In just two weeks, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you guys staying for the show. We are going to have a favorite of ours, and a year ago it is still our most aired episode to date. Anthony Bourdain is coming back with Medium Raw. One of our heroes, he is in the spirit of the show. We dissected Kitchen Confidential. That book was about his rise to fame. Well, more so about his grinding it out in the hellish kitchens of America and New York. And Medium Raw is right after. This is his second bestseller is when he got on the road. He started traveling the world, and he got to see beyond the illusion of the Food Network. He was going, my coworkers aren't that badass. Bobby Flay, what's the guy? Emerald, he could say, bam! And put on a good 30-minute program, but this guy doesn't know how to travel the world and talk to foreigners, integrate yourself into that lifestyle. Anthony Bourdain, we are going to get all into that rise to fame, the chefdom, the world traveling, the whole aura of that man. We're going to pay our respects two years after his death now. Thank you guys for the Wolf of Wall Street. It was a fun show. Until next time, take it easy. Peace.